All right, everybody, today I'm in the studio with my wonderful mother. She's going to give us the perspective on a dental hygiene career, and uh, I'm going to really enjoy it because I love my mother. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad to be here, so <laughs> <laughs> let's go for it. All right. Let's get that plaque. <laughs> you know, plaque, teeth. Yeah. That's all I know. So <laughs> that works. So let's let's start let's start easy because okay. I don't know anything. Uh, what is your professional title? Registered dental hygienist. And how long have you been doing it now? Oh my gosh, uh, almost twenty one years. Twenty one years. Twenty one years. See, we're over the two decade mark. Yep, at the same place. At the same. You uh you worked for one place right before that, right? Uh yes, but I worked a couple of days a week there and a couple of days a week where I'm at. Oh, twenty one though. There's a lot for the office and the people I work with. A lot about my patients. I don't know if you want to put this out there, but just in case anybody needs a cleaning or a new office and they happen to be in the area or they're an absolute freak and want to fly out here, where do you work? I work for Dundee Family Dentistry in that, Dundee, Oregon. Right there. Dundee, Oregon. So there you go. Sign up. Don't be crazy, though. Coming to my mother, don't be a wacko sitting in her chair. <laughs> All right. So let's get some history in this, go way back. When did you get started in the dental field? Uh, right out of high school. As soon as I graduated high school, I went to dental assisting school. I don't necessarily want to say the year. It makes me really, really old. Now we're all old. <laughs> right out of high school. <laughs> all right. Fresh out of high school. So then how long did you do assisting for? Uh, 12 years, pretty much. Okay. I took a couple years off when you were little, right after you were born. And I worked part-time when I went through my hygiene prerequisites, but 12 years, pretty much. What drew you to the field? You know, dentistry was never really one that quite came to mind for me, but it's kind of an odd thing. I was in a career development class in high school, and we all had to bring up a profession that we liked as it went around the room. And mine, of course, was something like accounting because that's what my mom did. So it was what came to mind. And somebody said dentist. And I thought, that's kind of an interesting thought. And so we had to do some time, uh, report, homework, whatever, that we had to go spend some time in a dental or wherever you wanted to go. And so I went to my dentist. And I enjoyed it. So right out of high school, then as soon as I graduated... I looked into assisting. I always wanted to do hygiene, but at the time I could not wait to get married to your father. <laughs> and so assisting was only a year. So I figured I could do a year. I could go to work. I could get married. I could always go back to school. Just come right back to it when you're ready. Pretty much was the thinking. <laughs> as soon as you get through your honeymoon phase. Yeah. It's much harder to go to school when you got a little one though, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of came along in that uh, whole mix, huh? <laughs> you did. Yep. But that's okay. Well, I mean, it's always good, though. You find that passion. That's what we're hoping to, to figure out out here for everybody, right? Yep. So, dental assisting. What all is involved in it? In dental assisting? Yeah. 
So a dental assistant is the one that sits beside the dentist, like when you're having work done. They actually are really the backbones in a dental office. They're way busier than we are. They work way harder than hygienists do or anybody else does. They um, have a lot of interaction with patients, take x-rays, get you seated, um, help the dentist with everything. In our office, they work on sterilizing instruments, restocking, ordering. We do laundry, um, <laughs> you know, they do everything. The technical end for a an assistant is to assist the dentist. So that's really their primary job is to hand him the tools, the support that he needs to get the work done chair side. So pretty much everything except cleaning and filling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that typically where people start when they get in the dental field? A lot of them do, but anymore, a lot of people go straight towards hygiene or straight into dental field. Yeah. When I went back, when I went through school, a lot of us started that way. And it's great to have a background in that because when you get into a hygiene field, I've seen what we call like prima donna hygienists, which are kind of like, that's not my job. I'm not helping. Um, and so it's nice to know where the assistants come from. And if they're busy and backlogged, we jump in and help, you know, Be so, a, a team player more than this. exactly. It's nice to have that understanding of of that not just it's not my job I'm not doing that so I mean you could talk to current day because I assume you know that better than any of the others which is uh what are the hours and pay like for dental assisting um an assistant typically it just depends on what the dentist works so most assistants I would say work in one office hygienists a lot of times will work in more than one um so typically probably about four days a week is an average for most dental offices. And I'm a little out of range on pays for them, so I'm gonna assume somewhere between about 20, 25, depending on if you're in the rural settings, if you're in the city, if you're in a specialty practice or whatnot. But somewhere in that range, some probably go a little higher, some a little lower. Okay, well, that's pretty good. I mean, I thought it'd be lower, not for any particular reason. I mean, I didn't know it took a degree to do it, well, and assisting is just a certification. It's a one-year program, so it's nine months, and it's a certification program. There's not technically a degree that goes to it. The only licensing you have to have is a radiology license and so you to be able to take the x-rays. Other than that, a dentist could teach you chairside. You don't have to go to school for it if you have a dentist that's willing to teach you. You could just take the class to take your x-rays and get your radiology license. Cool. I didn't know any of that. Uh, so when did you finally choose to go back to school? When I decided to go back to work when you were two. <laughs> and you decided, I don't want to be the assistant anymore. I want to, I want to do the exactly. big job. Exactly. I got back to it and it was just, this is just not what I want to do any longer. You know, hygiene's really where I wanted to be. Understandable. And that was the whole, you're that just like, that's it, really, we're going back. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah, that was my big deciding thing. But that's I mean, that's awesome you made that decision. It's obviously brought you where you are now, and I'm very happy with it. So. <laughs> I love what I do. How competitive is it just to get into school? It's very competitive to get into the colleges because they're limited to how many students you can take each year. So it takes you two years of an actual in-hygiene program. And in that time frame, you have to have like your own dental unit. So it's not like you could have like 50 chairs available 
dental schools have that, but hygiene schools do not. So most of them take between 18 to, I think there's a few of the colleges now here in Oregon that take 24. But for the most part, that's how many. So you get two, 300 people applying to those 18 to 24 positions. It's very competitive. Yeah, I mean, they take, you're talking about taking like 10 to 5% of everybody who applies. Yeah. That's rough. And it depends on the programs. Some of them, like where I went, I went through Portland Community, and they do theirs on a point system, or at least they did. I'm assuming they still do. I haven't looked into it. Um, And so you get so many points for every prerequisite class that's on their list of things. And then you get points if you've been an assistant in the past. You get points if you made their alternate list in the past. And so for me, when I got into it, 120 points was the top possibility of what I could get because I hadn't been an alternate the year before. I had 118. I made the alternate list. And you're like, man, this is like, I have to wait. points, two points, I had to wait for somebody to decide they were going to a different school and made it into the program on that. Let's say somebody did and you made it. So being an alternate was not the end of the world. No. No, it's definitely, I mean, getting on that list is, is a step anyway. Gets you one step closer. If it's not that year, it's the next year. Yeah, a couple more points, and then you're you're over the, the normal max out range. That being said, to get those points, you need, like, the straight A's. The, you've got to have the good grades. Some of the schools take more for the students that are already there. So, like, uh, Mount Hood Community College, only they give their priority to the students that are in their district first. So it's really tough to get into their program if you don't live in that college district. Things like Pacific and OIT do bachelor's programs. So if you do your prereqs at their school, you're more likely to get into their program versus doing their prereqs at a community college. So it's those types of things. And that's, I guess, something to address, which is the dental program is two years. Yes. And there's two years of prereqs. Yeah. So you're looking at four years, even though it's a considered a two year degree. Yes. So most of them, like mine's an associate degree. Um, In Oregon, OIT and I think Pacific are the only two that have bachelor's programs. However, once you take your hygiene boards, it makes absolutely no difference in getting hired. Whether you have an associate degree, you have a bachelor's degree. It doesn't make a difference in pay. It doesn't make a difference in anything else. You pass the same boards. You're a registered dental hygienist. That's all any dentist cares about. So even the schooling, you're like, I went to the best dental hygiene school in the doesn't world. Matter. Yeah. You're licensed. That's all that matters. And you're not a prima donna. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't wind up quite as many thousands of dollars in debt. <laughs> See, that's the good tip right there. Saving money. That's right. Everybody write a thank you note who saved money. (laughs) I hope to just have a ton of people just writing a stack of thank you notes that you guys have to sort at the office. So yeah, the other thing I guess we really haven't talked about up to this point is that you were also raising me while you were going back to school. Yeah, you were three when I went back to school. So it was tough. It was tough. I would... um, I'd lock myself in the bedroom because it was pretty much the only room we had in the house where it was quiet and I could study. And I can remember you coming in one day and saying, 
mom, can we play? And I'm like, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I have to get through this studying. I had a big test, something coming up. And you were like, our playtime's over, isn't it, mom? And it just like broke my heart. So hard to try and raise a little one. You have to have so much family support. So lucky for us, grandparents lived close by. Your dad was around. Yeah. Things that could keep you busy while I was studying. But you did, at some point, you had to bring me into classes too. I did. I did. I can't remember why I took you to school, but a couple of different occasions I think I took you to school. And I know I have a story that I really love, and we just talked about this <laughs> off air about how goofy it is. But like, I love the story because I think it's like cute. It's know. just a memory that you had of it. Yeah, I just like, it's what I remember from, because I wasn't there for most of your schooling, obviously. I wasn't like sitting in on the dental program. Right. But like, I was there. You were. <laughs> yes, I took you in. I think you were about four years old. And I took you to school one day for God knows what reason. I have no clue. <laughs> but I um, had a nutrition class that I was taking. And my teacher was very, one of those very hard-nosed, very strict type of teachers. She kind of had a friendly side if you got to the right edge of her. But for the most part, she was a pretty tough teacher. And I brought you into class and you had your little backpack of all your fun things to do that could keep you busy while we had two hours of lectures. So I'm not just like tugging your shirt and <laughs> exactly. drawing on the walls. No, you were really good about like sitting quietly and kind of doing your own thing. And you asked me if you could have your lunch. You were getting hungry and I'm like, okay, well, we probably should wait till like break, talk to the teacher, make sure it's okay. But not you. No, you raised your little four-year-old hand. And my hard-nosed teacher, her face just, like, melts. You could tell, like, she's probably a mom, although that thought had never, ever crossed my mind. And she gets this sweet little voice, and she's like, oh, honey, hi, what, what, what do you need? <laughs> and you're like, can I have my lunch? She's like, well, yes, of course you can. So you drug out all your stuff out of your backpack and proceeded to have lunch in the middle of class. <laughs> it's just the no breaks involved, and I'm just like lining up my snacks. <laughs> oh. See, I love that story. <laughs> um, so again, we talked. How long is the program? It's two years. Yes. Is that like a two full years, or is it two divided years? Like, do they break for summer? Anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could. it's kind of like taking a regular, like I did community college. So you could take your three terms with your summer off. You might take a, a year in the summer or a class in the summertime. In the actual hygiene program itself, we did do six weeks in the summer. So we had a shortened period of time frame, but we did a, um, I think we did a clinical where we kind of learned some of the expanded function end of things that hygiene does like doing sealants and denture relines and things that way so a little bit of a break a little like... bit yeah i mean you still had quite a bit of the summer off and i wanted i don't even remember when it was it's like we had a few weeks at the start a few weeks at the end and the six weeks in the middle if all the programs do that i i don't know but at least at that time like yes you had one break to go do some clinical stuff and grow your hair back <laughs> Just ripping it out every class. <laughs> uh -huh. 
so how much of that class is out of a book versus hands-on? A little of both. Um, first year, you get clinical classes, um, I think a couple of times a week, where you practice first on what we call like Dexter. We have like these heads that you strap to a chair that have a mouth on them. <laughs> Should mention, this is before the Dexter serial killer series. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> You're not just like strapping heads and being like, look, I'm Dexter. <laughs> no, they were created for dental stuff. They had fillings and whatnot in them. And, and so you use those to start with to like try and figure out how to look at a mirror, how to work backwards, which end of your instruments to use. And then we started working on like each other. And then I think by second term, we actually saw our first patients. But you still have a lot of lectures in there as far as like your radiology lecture classes. Um, some of those, I, like I got to skip on that one because I already had a radiology license. Um, so I took the lectures, not the labs. Um, dental materials, same thing. I took the lectures. I didn't have to take the labs because I'd already been through assisting. I knew how to like mix up stuff for models and take impressions and stuff like that. So things like that was kind of nice to have that assisting background ahead of time. It made definitely getting through a little easier in program. I didn't have as many classes and as many hours as I had to take that some of the others did. Um, and you mentioned that sometimes you did have real people in the oh, chairs. Yeah. Yeah, you start on real patients. Um, typically, you get them through the school to start with people that have like stopped at the dental clinic that's there at the school um, that want to get their teeth cleaned. And so they gave us cards. We were all assigned a certain number of people and it was your job to call them and get them scheduled on the days that you had clinicals and what worked with that. You could also bring in family members or friends or anybody else that you wanted to work on. But clinicals are like a three-hour clinical. Oh. It's not like you're going to the dentist office and you're there for 45 minutes or an hour. You're there for three hours, and it's typically more than one visit, especially for that first year. Oh. So they're long. It's a whole, you know, it's a school process. You get to do a step, the teacher has to check it. You do a step, the teacher has to check it. And so you work your way through that. So it takes a while. Well, I was just thinking, hey, there's an easy way to get your free dental done. Just go into the school mm -hmm. and then spend the next nine hours of your life doing cleanings. Yeah, and I don't think they were free. I think it was like $15 or something. I mean, it was something that was really cheap. Like they charged you a, a small fee for like if we took x-rays. So there was a small fee for the x-rays. There was a small fee to do your cleanings, that type of a thing. But, you know, if you don't have insurance or something that way, definitely way cheaper. And it's a great way for you to get something done inexpensive and a great way for students to get hands-on experience. And then into second year, you spend more and more time on patients, less time in classrooms. Okay. Um, I'm sure that was really fun, <laughs> doing all that, getting just over your shoulder the whole time. Yes. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to go to dental school or dental hygiene school? Um, prereqs. Get amazing grades on prerequisites. Even if that means you take an easy class with a hard class so that you can really get that, don't overload yourself with school classes because otherwise you're not going to get the grades and stuff. And being as competitive as it is, those grades and your prereqs are one of your most important things to getting into the program. So even if it takes a little bit longer than that, 
maybe two years to get your prereqs done or you have to take a class yeah. twice. Like, And take a look at what the schools, like when I went through, some of the schools had different requirements. And so if one school allows, say, a lower level of your anatomy and physiology classes and another one requires the 200 levels, take the 200 levels because then you can apply to more than one school because you want to be able to have as many options as possible out there when there's only six, seven schools in the state and they're limited to the amount of people they can take in. You don't want to just be limited to one specific spot. What was the hardest part about hygiene school? Juggling work, school, and family. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out a balance for all of that and still get it done, I would say was the toughest part. If you're looking at actually just the hygiene program itself, uh, for me, pharmacology. Pharmacology is just a tough, I have a hard time with all the, now I hear those drugs and stuff all the time that patients are taking, so I know what most of them are. But at the time, a lot of that was new. Getting into modes of transportations and how those drugs work in your system and how does that affect your teeth, then pharmacology was my tough one. Yeah, so you said pharmacology and I thought drugs that you would have to be giving a patient. And I'm like, how many drugs are in the the hygiene handbook? But you mean it's drugs patients, patients are, are taking. So there's ones that have different effects. You can get um, some anti-seizure medications that make their gums more swollen. Um, there's medications that patients take that give them a very dry mouth, which can lead to increase in cavities. So there's a lot of different medications that have different effects on the oral cavity itself. So you just use saying dry mouth, I need to take a drink. <laughs> there's a dry mouth. Uh, what do you think was the most memorable? Gosh, uh, probably the the women I went to school with. You know, we did a lot of study groups together. You spend a lot of time together. There was only 18 of us. Um, 17, actually, because we had one drop in the first year. So we got to be very close. Um, I think that was probably the funnest, most memorable things about it. Some of my teachers I remember really well. And then obviously you graduated. I did, yes. Didn't. Didn't we weren't that one person that just bombed out of the class? <laughs> no, I actually did okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember like seeing you study really hard for some of this stuff though. Like you even went at one point, you and one person from the dental school, who I won't name just because I don't know if I can say their name, went to like a secluded area, like a beach house. Yes. And you brought me with and you're like, just shut up and sit over there. We got to study for the next eight hours straight. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, board exams when we were studying for boards. Um, there was actually three of us that went. Was there three? Yeah, there was three oh, of so us totally that were there. I one of them. And um, gosh, we just spent like eight hours out of the day. We were there for spring break and we had to take our written exams as soon as we came back. And so we did. Yeah. We studied constantly. And what is boards? So with hygiene, you take three set of board exams. You do um, a written and a practical for anesthesiology so that you can um, give injections, things like that. You take a actual national written exam and then you take a practical exam. 
which in our area is called a REB, so it's a Western Regional. Um, that practical exam covers you in like nine different states okay. around the area. You still would have to, like if I moved to Washington, I would still have to apply for a Washington State license, but my REBS covers my practicality end of it. Okay, so after you graduate, you can move a little bit. Yes. So yes, if you want to retake that national exam, you, you could move to the West Coast, East Coast type of thing. You could go to a different area, but you would have to retake your writtens to base it on that specific locations. And then you'd have a whole new, I imagine, set of things to study since they probably changed just East to West Coast. I think a lot of them are the same in certain aspects. Um, the national written, actually, let me rethink that. Your national written is good for all the states. Your REBS are your practicals. So yeah, you have to retake your practicals, which is why um, after taking my board exams here, we had been living in Hawaii prior to me going back to school. I had to fly to Hawaii and retake a practical exam over there. So it's the practical that's good for the Western regionals. So you finish, a lot of people coming out of college can just start a business. Can a dental hygienist open a business on their own? You can with an expanded practice permit. Um, I believe you still have to work under a dentist, so you have to have a dentist that's there. But if there was a dentist that wanted to just be an employee, I'm assuming yes. I can't think of any hygienist or any businesses I know of that are actually ran by hygienists, but there's more and more that are getting their expanded practice that allows them to work out in nursing homes, um, schools, people who are homebound and can't get out, they can actually go to their homes and clean their teeth and take care of their oral health that way. Um, hospitals as well. So it gives them a greater access to things. They have a little bit more of continuing ed they have to do for it to keep those licenses up and to get them, but it is a possibility. Okay, interesting. Now, it's competitive to get into school. Is it also competitive getting a job once you're out of school? I think it depends on your locations, yeah. and it depends on when. Like right now, there's a lot of hygiene places that are open. There's a lot of jobs available out where we're at. I don't know in all states if it's that way. Um, some of my hygiene sites, I've heard that a lot of the states are pretty limited, um, that there's not as many job openings, especially since all this COVID has hit the markets. Um, it, I think it varies on a year to year basis too. So there's been years where it's very hard to get in, years where it's- very, Years where it's kind of... very challenging and people tend to temping a lot or working one day in one office, maybe one day in another office, maybe even a third or something that way. So, I mean, there's options. Also good. And then there's this community outreach, expanded practice jobs, kind of. Yes. Going out and about, which I guess gives you a little more availability to, to move around if you have that that license. Well, and a lot of the programs now, like when I went through, you had to take a separate class for this. And there was only, I think, Clark College in Washington taught a restorative class. But they now have restorative hygienists. So I know Pacific 
um, I think OIT would have it too since there's is a bachelor program but there's you can take the restorative classes so that the dentist comes in and actually preps the tooth for a filling and a hygienist can actually come in and place the filling so for some that really like that restoration end of things for me if I wanted to do restorative work I'd have been a dentist they make more money right. <laughs> I don't want to do restorative so as you say, it's kind of a weird halfway point. It is kind of a weird point, but there's a lot of hygienists that love it. So there's also that kind of an option. I know some hygienists that work in specialty practices for like endodontists or oral surgeons, where basically all they do is give injections. All they know they can go through and, and numb ahead of time for doctors and stuff. Um, that way the doctors can just kind of move on through. Some of your practices that are more... Um, OHP practices, so um, which is OHP is our Oregon Health Plan. So patients that are on state assistance with dental, some of those kind of move through a little more of an assembly line type of thing. They they don't pay well, so the practices have to see a lot more patients to make any money. And so and some <laughs> I know cases. my dog is just freaking out <laughs> right outside the door. So in some cases, uh, hygienists can do things that way. So there's different avenues, different aspects, but most of us didn't get into hygiene to give injections. You know, it's not what we want to spend our days doing. And then just because I caught it when you said it, and I don't recognize it, an endodontist. Oh, is a root canal specialist. Okay. So there's different kinds of dentists above that too. There are. Yeah. You've got your orthodontists, of course, which are, they do braces. Okay. Um, hygienists don't typically work for an orthodontist. They may, but I don't know of any. Just do a little pre-cleaning before they snap <laughs> braces in there. <laughs> or after. Um, there's pedodontists, which specialize in children. And there's a lot of hygienists that work in that. Um, to me, that's a really, like for me, when I have a child that's really difficult to work on in a chair, that's who I'm going to send them to. <laughs> I don't want to be that person in that practice that has to deal with the difficult ones. So I have an out. <laughs> You're like, oh man, this child's awful. I'm going to just turn from somebody else. And some of them are children that have had really bad experiences and they just need more time. Pedodontist offices are typically a lot more fun. They'll have like TVs for the kids or video goggles or, you know, they've got the little kid chairs instead of the full-sized ones. You have things that are really geared to kids to make it a fun place and a fun experience for them. Yeah. Ours in a general practice, we see all ages. So you, it's it's tough to have that. Yeah, there's no, no child-sized chairs for the uh, elderly. <laughs> exactly. And then as far as specialists go, we also have your oral surgeons, which of course take out teeth do implant placements, reconstructions, anything that way that needs to be done, and then a periodontist. And they're kind of that gum and bone specialist. So for people who have periodontal disease or issues that way, a lot of times that's kind of the direction we send them to. That's a lot of there's types. A, there's a lot of different avenues and aspects. So, And sometimes that's hard with general practice with patients is that you have to go see this person for that specialty and you have to go see this person. You know, they want everything done in one area. And there are a lot of general dentists that do a wide range of everything, but there's those that don't. And so that's kind of where patients can get real frustrated with things. I get that because they're doing their cleaning at your office and then they're getting a root canal at a 
endodontist. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, got it. And then they have to go somewhere else for their child's braces and really becomes a, uh, a three ring circus. It can. Now that I'm, I'm off tangent, I'm getting, <laughs> getting back to what I was doing. Um, you just got out of college. Okay. That's, okay. That's our time jump. Um, what is the average pay like? Typically in hygiene, it's not that far off of where those people are that are already been practicing. Now, for me, where I've been in an office for a longer period of time, they're not going to bring in a new grad making what I make. Right. But But what did did you make at the start? I started out at $30 an hour. Okay. That's a really low pay range for where we are now. I mean, you're talking 20 some years ago. Right. You know, so... A lot difference. I would say average right now, at least in our area, and again, some states are going to be more. If you're working in the big cities, you're going to make a little more. If you're working in a specialty practice, you're going to make a little more. But in a general practice where we are in rural settings and our local areas, I would say they start around 40 to 45 an hour. Wow. Is kind of your your range. So that's a big jump Yeah. now compared to then. Yes. And then your work week, when you started, you said you're doing like a a day somewhere else and then a day in Dundee. Yes. So I spent two days in McMinnville in an office and three days in Dundee. So I did the five. I still do five. And that's not normal. (laughs) It is not normal. No. Typically, hygienists work three to four is your average. The nice thing about hygiene is that because your wage is a really a decent wage, you know, for people that are having kids, you're home, you want to spend time with the kids, you can work a couple of days a week and still make a really good paycheck and still have that time with your kids. But an average full-time hygienist would be four days a week. You freak. (laughs) But, I love what I do. And when I look at like my days, it's like, what day would I give up? Because I have a certain sets of patients who will only come in on Fridays or certain ones that only want to come in on a Monday. And so I would rather give up a day at one of those. So I have a longer weekend right. than a day in the middle of the week. Just Wednesday. And I don't really want to give up those patients and those. So yeah, <laughs> You're I like, do no, five. I guess I'll just do five forever. <laughs> I've doomed myself. I have. So straight out of school, don't start at five days a week. You'll never give it up. (laughs) But even five days a week, you work a 40-hour week, right? Pretty close to. My Fridays are a short day. So I average probably about 36, 37 hours a week. Okay. But that puts you on yours, which is the expanded schedule, puts you just shy of what a normal person's work week kind of looks like. Yes. So I guess the average one is... uh, below that even yeah about 32 30 to 32 hours a week is is pretty typical as a person working 50 hours a week let me tell you i'd love to work 30 (laughs) (laughs) Uh become a hygienist oh i am i'm all shaky and loose i don't know if i I just stab people in the gums you kind of have to have a little bit of a steady hand for that one yeah Yeah. (laughs) sorry about your eye Let's see. We went over a lot of this. We kind of just... We just kind of jumped around yeah, we it just a little jumped bit. It because it was nice. I was like, what's the work league like now? What's it like then? You know, is it competitive? And you covered all of that already. Um, I know we covered special training as far as anesthesiology. You have to take your boards and you have to 
get that license sometime during yep, you gotta have your anesthetic license is there other certs that you have to do yes a nitrous so if you want to do nitrous for patients you have to have that certification and that's something then that you have to keep up every couple years so you have to do so many hours of continuing education on that for that cert as well as for your regular license all right manage the puppy she's a psycho (laughs) (laughs) she is a little active all right so now a lot of degrees have continuing ed and this is one of those right it is one of those yes so for a standard hygiene license you have 24 hours a year that you have to do in continuing ed. And some of those are in specific areas, like you have to maintain a current CPR card. You obviously have to have so many hours in your nitrous, which I just said, also in medical emergencies. And then other than that, the rest of them are pretty much anything dental related you really wanna do. If you do an expanded practice permit for the hygienists that have those, I believe that's 40 hours a year. So yeah, they're up close to like, I think dentists are 40 hours a year as well. So they uh, are right up in that category. And again, I don't know exactly what their requirements are because that's not a license I hold, but yeah. That's all right. We'll get one of them on. (laughs) I'll kidnap your your boss. (laughs) Get him on here. All right. Now, obviously you clean my teeth. I do. And I do an okay job. Yeah. Yeah. Not as good as everyone would think, having a hygienist for a mother, but I do, I do okay. I had to harp on you a lot when you were young to take care of things, yeah. I think every mom does, though. It's just that as a hygienist, when your kid has to have a filling, you think you are a failure. And I've got a couple. You do have a few, yep. So you have a ton of tools. Yeah. Like, every time I come in, you've got some kind of crazy hook and a mirror and... <laughs> Just all kinds of sharp instruments. I actually, even though there's an arsenal of tools for hygiene, I have a couple of main ones that I use for everything. I love that, an arsenal of tools. Well, there is, because you've got like your standard, we call them scalers. Okay. Okay, so you got your standard scalers that you have that are universals, which means each side of it is shaped exactly opposite so what i can use on the lower right side i can use on the upper left and but i can use the same tool for everywhere on your mouth it's just which side of it you're using um and then you have ones that we call gracies which have a longer reach to them but they have one side it's a very specific spot or one tool that's for just the front side of the tooth and then you have a separate one for just the back side of the teeth. So you get all these different arsenals of things that you have with files and Gracie's and Cavitrons and everything else. And I use a couple of very basic, simple things for everybody. And Every I, hygienist has their favorites. Yeah. Gracie's are some of it, some for some people, <laughs> not my favorite thing. Gracie's company's just losing their mind right now. I know. They do make a universal Gracie, which I do love because that's kind of my thing. It's that whole universal thing. I can use that tool to reach certain areas that are really hard to reach with a standard tool. And it's perfect for that. But it's not something you want I use. use on everybody and everything. It has its purposes and its things. And do you have to buy your own tools? Are they supplied by the office? My office supplies them all. That's typical. However, my boss has always been 
really awesome in the fact like if you need something you order it um, I have friends obviously that are hygienists that that is not the case with them they really have to fight to get their boss to purchase the tools that they need and that's rough when you're talking you know like eight patients a day yes and a lot of offices where there's multiple hygienists they share those instruments we all have our own so since I work five days a week, I always have the same room. So everything in there is mine. <laughs> and it is set up specifically for where I want it to be. But we all have our own cassettes. So all of our instruments are in a cassette. And a cassette is? It's a metal case that we put all of our instruments in. And then that runs through our ultrasonic, which is kind of, um, it's like a vibration it's in fluid and it vibrates it to kind of take any debris that may still be left on instruments, um, things that way. And then they get rinsed off and then wrapped up so that they're um, set to go into a sterilizer. And then since they're wrapped, they stay sterile until we reopen them to use for the next patient. So I have like six separate cassettes and I typically see five patients in a morning. So that gets me through my morning into my afternoon and then by that time my next set of instruments have already gone through a sterilizer so we just kind of rotate through them but we each have our own where some offices the hygienists really have to share those tools and it's it's not necessarily a fun experience you know we all sharpen things a little different so yeah i just imagine you with a grinding wheel just like it's polishing not... <laughs> out a sword put in your mouth <laughs> They actually make these little stones. So in some cases, it would be a little similar to that. Um, they also make some electric type of things that are a real... <laughs> real easy. It's just buffered. Yep. Pretty much <laughs> just that. You just line it up. It sharpens it for you and you're done. I'm going to keep my head cannon. I like the thought of just <laughs> a giant grinding wheel. All right. Well, you imagine all you'd like. I will. Okay. <laughs> um you also mentioned something that sounds like it is from the future, which is a Cavatron. So a Cavatron is an ultrasonic scaler, and they've been around forever. They are used more commonplace now than when I went through school. For us, it was like they made you use hand tools first, and then a Cavatron was kind of an adjunctive tool that we got to use towards the end of our first year and then on into second. And students that are in school now spend a lot more time with Cavatrons. They make it a lot more specialty tips to where they're different tips for different areas. Again, some thin, some thicker, some wide, some small. Newer hygienists use those a lot more than those of us that graduated 20 plus years ago. Okay, so is this like the... Uh... The miniaturized version of a pressure washer? Um, it's like the miniaturized version of a jackhammer. Oh. So the tip of it vibrates like 30,000 times a second. It's a very fast vibration. And it for people who have a lot of tartar built up, it removes that really quickly. You can just kind of line it up on there and it jackhammers through it. It has the water spray going with it so that it keeps the tip cool because it moves so rapidly. But they're finding out more and more it also um, kind of kills the bacteria. It makes the cells explode. So it kind of has that lice. What do you call that? Lice. Um, I'd love to know the word you're looking for. <laughs> um, why can't I not think of that? Anyway, 
what it does is it, it helps to kind of kill a lot of the bacteria that's off um, underneath the edges of the gum lines and helps to flush that all out of the pockets and stuff. So that's where a lot of the newer hygienists come in there. For me, I still don't think they have the tactile sensitivity. And a lot of what we do is below the gum lines. So I want that tactile sensitivity. So hand instruments are still my favorite. But like a lot of, I have a lot of patients that ask. So since a lot of what we do is by feel, everything has a different feel to it. So a tooth colored filling has a different feel to it than a silver filling does. Calculus has a different feel than that does. So you can tell kind of where you've hit the root surface of the tooth, the enamel of the tooth. Are you at that margin where that root surface and the enamel meet? There's a junction there. Is it a crown? Is it ortho cement? Those types of things. Everything has a different feel. I just got washed out in vocabulary. I, I follow. I track. <laughs> um, I made a joke about plaque at the start of this. <laughs> and then you hit me with tartar and I think sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. I know. Tartar is calculus. So tartar like calculus. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> Tartar and calculus are the same thing. So plaque is kind of the biofilm or that white fuzzy stuff that you can scrape off with your fingernail. Okay. That's the plaque. That's what you remove with your toothbrush on a daily basis. The tartar is a calcified deposit that builds up on your teeth. And that's what we remove in the dental offices. Your toothbrush won't do it for you at home. And it's not like we all build that at the same rate either. No, everybody's different. And a lot of it depends on genetics plays a role into it. I mean, obviously, if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to build more than if you do. So your brushing definitely, your home care definitely plays a part in that. But it has a lot to do with different phosphates, minerals, things that are in your saliva content, which is why when most people go in to have their teeth cleaned, like your lower front teeth is always everybody's worst spot because that's where your main saliva glands come into your mouth. So those areas are the ones that get coated with all those minerals and phosphates and things first. So yes, everybody builds tartar at a different rate. Some people very rapidly, other people very slowly. Okay. And then I know from toothpaste commercials, they throw the word enamel at you a lot. <laughs> they do. So it's a layer of the tooth. That's the outside layers of the tooth. Yes. Okay. So it's enamel. And then what's just beneath that? Dentin. Dentin. Mm -hmm. Aptly named. For the dental. So for cavities, once it's gotten through the enamel to the dentin, that's when it actually becomes a cavity and you have to fill it. If it's still in the enamel surface, you can halt it or stop it. Like if it's in between the teeth, flossing. Can you know if you can keep those areas clean or a water pick. A water pick actually is one of my favorite tools. If you hate flossing, buy a water pick. And a water pick's relatively new too, right? Actually, they've been around for a long time. Oh God, I'm so far behind. Yeah, no, they've been around for a long time, but I think they're they're newer for people to use as far as they're more popular now. Like people, I have a lot of patients that said, oh yeah, I used to have one of those when I was a kid, but people never, it's not like something you really stuck with, where now a lot more people have them. You hear about them a lot more, so it makes it seem like it's a very new product, even though it's been around for a long period of time. And a water pick is essentially flossing with water. Yeah, so it's like a little miniature power washer. Okay, so see, I was yeah. I was just early. <laughs> you were early, yes. Wrong tool and, and early on that, but yep. yeah. <laughs> they're one that you can use at home, and they're fabulous. There you go, and obviously a, a ringing endorsement for flossing. Yes. From the dental hygienist. 
I know I'm going to hear about this as soon as we get off air. <laughs> How's your flossing habits? Bad. <laughs> Use a water pick. I know. I have it one. will replace your flossing. And if anybody has kids with braces, water pick. It just gets right around all oh the... Oh my goodness, yes. It'll get around those brackets and underneath those wires so much easier than anything else. They are a bit on the messy side to kind of figure out use a little bit. But, you know, you clean your mirror, your sink, yourself, your teeth, <laughs> all at the same time with one. <laughs> you just jack the water pressure all the way to the top and then just get in the shower. <laughs> They do make them for the shower. They're not quite as effective as the countertop models, but they do make them for a shower. I was just thinking you get in the shower and just let it all just down the drain and then you shower off. No, it's just why don't you don't stand in a mirror and look at what you're doing. You put your face over the sink and just open your mouth and just let it flood on out. Just go for it. Just go for it. All right. So enamel, dentin. Obviously, dentin has some kind of a feeling because we know when we have a cavity. Yes. So enamel doesn't have nerve endings in it where the ana- the dentin does. Thank God it doesn't. Can you imagine like chomping down on a nut or something if your teeth all felt? <laughs> we'll all be on liquid diets. <laughs> Which might not necessarily be a bad thing for some of us. <laughs> well, I like cake, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I could still eat cake. It probably wouldn't be that bad. You can eat cake. You just have to brush your teeth afterwards. All right. So anyway, I, I'm interrupting. Dentin feels. <laughs> Dentin feels. So sensitive toothpaste for a lot of people who have um, root exposures and the root structure of the tooth is actually cementum. But again, nerve endings in it and around them. So a lot of people who get recession um, of the gums where they've receded expose that root structure of the tooth that has nerve endings in it. So a lot of people will get sensitivities from those. So sensitive toothpaste, fluoride rinses, things like that. And then obviously, like, the root is the uh, the center in the cementum? Cement? Cementum is the root itself. Okay. So the center of the tooth is actually the pulp Oof. or the nerve. So it. there's a blood supply that runs to teeth. So when you end up having to do a root canal, you're taking that blood supply out. It's because it has gotten contaminated either from a cavity getting to it, um, an impact if you got hit in the mouth, Sometimes the nerves just have had too much going on to them and they don't recover. And that's why a person that loses a tooth bleeds so profusely. It's not like a just a cut in the mouth. They just kind of like just ooze from the tooth. Well, <laughs> yes, but also because you just had something ripped out of your face. So <laughs> the gums and everything else are going to bleed around there. It's not just from the center of the tooth, but the nerve endings run up the middle of the tooth. That would hurt. Obviously, I've never lost a, a tooth that's not a baby tooth, so yes, we're, we're in the pro side there. <laughs> Couple cavities, but no missing teeth. Yay! Also, I didn't have wisdom teeth. You did not have wisdom teeth. And that's weird. It is. We see it every so often, but it is kind of an on the unusual side, yes. Do, just since I'm on it already, I'm already on this tangent, um, do people always get four? No, some people will have one. Um, two, sometimes it's a lower, sometimes they're uppers, sometimes they're right side, sometimes it's left. Um, sometimes they'll be missing one of them. We see that quite a bit. I've had a few, and this is kind of like people missing wisdom teeth. There's a few of those rare ones who actually will have like six of them. Oh, they get the extra ones. And typically the extras that I've seen are usually uppers. Okay. So just a, a, That's a real horrifying image. I'm thinking about it like tickling the tonsils in the back. Okay. Well, I feel better about never having wisdom teeth. (laughs) You got lucky. Yeah. Woo. (laughs) 
I don't even remember where it was before this tangent. We were talking about nerves, sensitivities. Okay. So I'm guessing maybe fluorides is kind of our next sure. way into that. So there's a lot of products, like certain toothpastes, that say it can repair your teeth. Is there something to that, or is that like kind of fake marketing? Um, there's No, there's something to that. So most fluoride most toothpastes have fluoride in them. Fluoride helps to rebuild tooth structure. So your teeth, if you think about them, they're always, it's like building blocks. They're always breaking down and always rebuilding, just like cells and everything else in your body. So it's when that tooth structure breaks down faster than it can rebuild that you get cavities. So that fluoride helps to rebuild that. And so with toothpaste, fluoride rinses, things like that that help to do that. It also helps to seal up some of those nerve endings where if you've got that cementin or that root structure exposed, it can help to kind of put a clear coat is the easiest way to think of it. For me, I always think of like a fingernail polish. It puts like a clear coat over top of those nerve endings and helps protect them so that you don't get that temperature um, transmissions and stuff into the teeth. Um, So the fluoride that is in toothpaste and I'm assuming mouth rinses, and lots of other stuff. Is it the same kind of fluoride people talk about putting in water? Um, Basically, yes. Yes. So there's different fluorides that they'll use in toothpaste. There's different levels of fluoride that they use in things. So there's a lot of places where fluoride's naturally occurring in water supplies. The places where it doesn't naturally occur, that's where they want to add it to it. And they add... It's a one part per million. So if you think of like one drop of fluoride to a million drops of water, that's kind of the dosage of what they want to add into water supplies to help. So it's extremely diluted. It's extremely diluted. Okay. Because I know I've seen that pop up on a couple of ballots for voting is like, do we add fluoride to the water? Well, fluoride's a very controversial thing in the dental fields. It's one of those that people either love it or they hate it. Most anybody I know in the dental field, we're all really for fluorides because we see what teeth look like in kids and adults that were raised without fluoride and those that were raised with fluoride. And it's night and day difference to the amount of cavities and issues that kids have without it versus those with it. That fluoride gets gets incorporated into your body and into the building blocks of the teeth. And so it makes the teeth much harder and more resistant to getting cavities. So those that grow up with it, really a huge bonus for them. Healthier teeth. Absolutely, yes. So now we've been through all the the technical part of that. Um, Cleaning a tooth, you said you just kind of take that big hook scythe and you (laughs) you just dig all the tartar off our teeth and then what? And then you polish them. You pull, I mean, you just have a, I know you have a little rotary tool yeah. that's in there. Is that polish like a fluoride? No, it doesn't typically have fluoride in it. It has a pumice, um, is kind of the grit that's in it. So when you have your teeth polished and you have kind of that pretty, gritty yeah. stuff, that's a pumice that's in there. Um, couple, I don't know exactly what all they put in profi paste, but there's flavorings so that you get mint or cookie dough or root beer or whatever, bubble gum, you know, different heard, flavors that you have to that. Or cookie dough, or was that my option? Um, that is a newer one that I have just found off out about. So we will have that on order for next time you come in. You can have it. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to cookie dough on my teeth. <laughs> 
back to polishing. (laughs) (laughs) The polish just helps to remove like surface stain. When I run around there with instruments, really my main goal is to remove tartar or calculus off of the teeth. I do remove plaque obviously at the same time, but I may not get it all. And that's not necessarily my main goal in that. You want to get the stuff off there that's really the health of the gums that you're getting clean. And then the polishing paste will come back as you polish the teeth up. You're going to remove what's left of residual plaque on the teeth as well as surface stains. Okay. And then if you're polishing, is that kind of the end? Yeah, pretty much polishing, flossing, making sure that things are all nice and clean in between the teeth as well as surface-wise. All right. Uh, Are there any patient types that are worse than normal? You don't have to call anybody out, but there's... You mean patients that you don't enjoy seeing? Some of them that are... I mean, they could either be just because they're grumpy or because they have absolutely horrible dental care. (laughs) (laughs) Like the guy that comes in after 10 years and he's like, no, I figured it's once every decade and I'll be fine. I've seen those. I've seen those. Um, You know, I get a wide range. Obviously, I see a lot of the same people. Over time, some of them I love seeing on my schedule. Um, some of them not quite so much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, everybody has their good days, their bad days. Some days they come in very grumpy. Some days I'm very talkative. Some days I'm a little more quiet. You know, we all have those days of what works for us and what isn't. Um, as far as kids versus older people, you know, I see both goods and bads in all of that. So with kids, sometimes um, there's more fear to them. If they've been in a few times, usually they're really easy and they love being in there because they get their trident gum and they get their toys and they get their stickers and they, you know, they get their fun end of it. Um, Seeing kids all day is really tough because you have to be very upbeat, very happy all the time. It's a little bit high maintenance. So that's why I would not work in a pedo office. But there's some people that are absolutely fabulous at that. It's just their personalities. Um, With elder patients, sometimes getting them maneuvered in and out of chairs or you can't lean them back very far, so it makes it what I do a lot harder. Sometimes I end up having to stand for them because I can't lean them back very far, so they're harder to work on in some cases. So there's, there's always challenges. Everybody's a little different, which is what I love about my job, even though you're cleaning teeth all day. Every mouth is different, every patient is different, every personality is different. And so I feel like I'm not doing the same thing all day long. Good. And then we kind of brushed on it, which is, you know, 45 minutes to an hour in a normal dental office and three hours at a student office. (laughs) Um, Is an hour enough or would you want more or less for certain people? So in my office, we get an hour and a half for new patients. Um, I don't know quite how all practices work. I know from friends that I have that are hygienists, my office is really easy on time. Some offices are more like 45 minute appointments or an hour appointment, but you're taking x-rays, doing an exam, you're measuring um, pocket depths, you're cleaning, you're doing all of it in that time frame. We only do x-rays and exams typically once a year unless there's something that we see as hygienists that we need the doctor to look at. 
Um, so I get to kind of alternate. You know, I can do x-rays, exams, and a cleaning in an hour time frame on some patients. The next one may need new measurements around their teeth to find out how healthy the gums and the bones supporting them are doing and getting their cleaning done. So, and then if I have patients who have a lot of stain or a lot harder, I just schedule their point, their next one for maybe it's 70 minutes or it's 80 minutes. So my office is very lenient in that aspect and that we kind of get to run our own hygiene departments. So if I need more time, I allow more time. And my doctor's fine with that. See? Not all practices are that way. It's really awesome though. Yes. Everybody else take notes. Start demanding. <laughs> Strike. <laughs> Rise it's up. just important to know that not all, you know, there's, there's a lot of different avenues to hygiene. There's a lot of different types of practices out there and every doctor has a different personality, you know, and you have to remember that when you go to an interview, do a working interview is the best way for a hygienist and you're interviewing the staff in the office as much as they're interviewing you. It's not always, you know, know when you have something good too because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. That next office may not be where you want to be and you'll be really disappointed that you gave up where you were. So there's definitely pluses and minuses in all aspects. And so you really need to look for what it is and know your own worth. You know, this is, you can't do the quality job that you need on your patient if you're expected to do everything in a short time frame. Something's getting skimped. So whether it means you're not doing a very good job at removing the tartar around their teeth, or you don't get a chance to really do much for polishing, you're flying through something, they're not getting the quality of treatment as a patient that they should be getting if you are allowed more time. And that's awesome that, I mean, you're speaking from a patient advocate point of view. Oh, which absolutely. Is, which is awesome because there's so many places they are just like another patient, another dollar, another whatever, you know, just fly in, fly out. And a lot of offices anymore, and more so in different states, Oregon's not quite as bad yet, that are corporately owned. And so everything is about the bottom line. You know, they're looking at what that bottom dollar is and how much they can make. And so they tend to over-treatment a little bit more. Um, where my office has always been very much, it's about the patient. Yes, you know, obviously the practice wants to make its money. It needs to make its money to stay in business. And we all want our paychecks. And so there is the fact that, yes, it is about the, the dollar, but it's also about that quality of patient's care. Because if you don't have patients, you're not making that money. So if you treat your patients right, your patients are going to stay. And they're going to tell their friends about you or their family. They're going to refer people to you. And you're going to have that great base of a practice. And I know your guys, your office uh, has a ton of regulars that have been there forever. Oh, yeah. They're like, I'm never going anywhere else. I'll come back here even if it's a long drive. I do. Actually, I have patients that drive up from Central Oregon, um, from the coast, from um, Tri-Cities areas. So towards, hours. Yeah. Yes. Hours and hours of driving. In fact, I have one that drives about four hours for his appointments. Each way? Yes. Wow. He comes down from Washington. 
and it takes him it's about a four or four and a half hour drive and he makes that drive every six months see and that's why you're like i can't give up a day because i'm gonna see him and it's gonna be what he needs yeah that's awesome um as well as advocating for your patients i assume you give them kind of the uh you know, these are good habits. These are bad habits. Oh, of course. That's part of your job. You have to educate them. You have to let them know what you're missing, where you need to work on it. Because if we're not telling you, you can't see in your own mouth. You don't know what you're missing, where your work needs to be. Looking at x-rays and knowing, look, you have a lot of little things that are starting in between the teeth, but you can change these or stop them you can't ever reverse it um that shadow that may be there on a film that hasn't like i said before kind of gotten through the enamel and into the dent and where you have to do a filling if it just stays that small little spot and you can keep that we'll look back on films and see that it's been that way for the last so many years you know maybe it's been there 10 15 years so you don't know those things unless we educate you and that brings us to kind of some of the worst things for your mouth, because I know, what is it? I don't want to get sued by them, but one of the colas, uh, you can drop a tooth into it and it will dissolve, right? Yes. Like that was an internet thing for a little while. Yes. You can drop a tooth into a glass of Coca-Cola and in, give it a week, two weeks. I'm not actually really sure what that time frame is on there, so maybe don't quote me on that. But you can drop a tooth into a glass of pop, and it can, it'll eat it. Yeah. There's enough sugar and acids in pop to do just that. And I know things like Mountain Dew, for my, my quotability here, have a ton of sugar in them. So is it worse to have a lot of sugar or to be that hard whatever it is in the brown soda. It's worse for exposures. So let's go with, let's start there. So exposures are kind of the worst thing. So if you sat down, say, with a liter of Mountain Dew sure. and you had lunch and you downed it in 15 minutes, that's one exposure of sugar and acids on your teeth. If you take that liter of soda and it's sitting on your desk and you take a drink of it and you get back to work, that's an exposure. 10 minutes later, you come back and get another swallow. Every time you drink that, and it takes you all day long to drink that same amount of pop is way worse on your teeth than if you drank it in one sitting and had one exposure. Oh God, now I'm going to chug everything. <laughs> well, it really, that's just it. Eat it, drink it, whatever, in a short time frame. Then, the more you snack, the more exposures you have. And then just be done. Just, yes. Okay. God, there's so many other things that are horrible for your teeth, too. I know I wanted to talk about it was nicotine, the nicotine effect on your teeth. Is there one product in particular you'd single out? Like a, is it a cigarette or is it a chew? Or... Cigarettes tend to stain teeth. So granted, <laughs> nicotine itself um, can break down the tissue of the teeth. So not necessarily the tissue of the teeth, but the gums. So it can contribute more towards like periodontal disease, inflammation of the gums, things that way. Um, and of course, the inhalation of the smoke, whether it's vaping or it's on an actual cigarette, you get those darker teeth. You can get the yellow stains. Um, marijuana smoke tends to leave more of a green stain, something a little different a little, that you uh, see Saint more Patrick now smoke. with all the, the legalizations of that. Um, 
smokeless tobaccos, so chewing tobacco, is actually the ones that I think are worse because they're sitting up against the teeth, the tissues. There's a lot of things in there that are very abrasive to tissues that could kind of, it basically cuts it. That's how that nicotine enters into your bloodstream is it creates these little tiny, tiny cuts of your gums or your lip. And then that nicotine enters your system. So now you're getting that nicotine that's really harsh on the tissue itself, but it's getting the direct exposure to it. So it can cause a lot of recession in the gums because of the sugars and stuff that are in it then can lead to cavities in there as well as oral cancers. So I see a lot more issues with that product versus all the rest of them. Okay. Don't think I've ever heard it outside of you know, in a dentist's office when like you and I are talking about something, but oral cancer just doesn't seem to get coverage. And it is serious. It is very serious. It's one of those that is, unless you're frequently at your dentist, is an easily overlooked thing. Because again, you can't see in your mouth. So now you're, you're reliant on your professionals to find those for you. And if it's under the tongue, a lot of times it's not visible. And those are the ones that are the most dangerous. Those are the ones that tend to be where you hear the horror stories of people who got oral cancers and it led to losing half of your jaw or it spreads through the rest of your system because of all the glands and everything that you have, obviously from the floor of your mouth to your throat, your neck, it can enter into a lot of areas. Um, The tissue itself, Oral cancers are, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you're chewing, you can pull your lip down. You can see it's kind of got a white puckered tissue. Keep an eye on it. You know, if it gets to be where it's not going away when you've kept... Switching sides. Yes, you keep move the chew to someplace else the next time you put it in. That gives that tissue at least a little bit of a break from it to where it's not always in that same place. Um, but you can kind of look at that a little bit and see, but if it gets farther back again, you can't see it. So oral cancer, yeah, it doesn't get the attention or the, the notoriety that a lot of the other cancers do. So outside just oral cancer, which is obviously terrible, your tooth health, dental health, um, affects a lot of the rest of your body as well. Like it's, It does, and they're actually linking more and more and more to your overall general health to your mouth. So people who have like periodontal disease, some of the bacteria and stuff that's in your mouth from the periodontal disease can actually contribute towards heart issues. It can uncontrolled A1Cs for diabetics, pregnancies, um, low-term birth weights. Um, and infants. So there's a lot, a lot of things and, and more and more so that they're coming out with everything. I mean, if you think your whole body is really one big system, of course, your mouth is going to have an effect on that. Especially if it's the intake for everything else. Yes. Like it's got the most kind of abuse that you're getting. And it's as systemic as everything else is. So the healthier your mouth is, you know, the healthier your body probably is. And as well as, um, you know, if you're suffering with periodontal disease, you've got gums and bone issues, all of that and that bacteria is going to have a major effect on everything else. It runs through your system. How could it not? 
whether there's an infection there from, say you need a root canal and you have an abscess tooth, you now have an infection that your body's continuously fighting. It'd just be like if you had an infection anywhere else, you know, if you had a cyst on your arm or something that you had to look at and it was constantly oozing pus, which is a gross thought, yeah. but you know, obviously, <laughs> right, you'd go do something about it. Yeah. But for some reason, when it's in your mouth, people don't. But yet it's the same thing. You get that infection that has to drain somewhere. Right. And you're talking, I mean, it affects your heart. And I know here in America, I don't know about the rest of the world, but here in America, heart disease, number yes. one killer. I think number two is diabetes. And, it and can... it's affected by your dental health. And then, I mean, it, it goes down, but like you're talking all the three big ones, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, right in your mouth. Yes. So it's critical to go and actually take care of your teeth. Yes. Trying to move off the uh, little serious notes we're getting there. <laughs> Be a little fun. Um, but how does this job, obviously over two decades plus assisting. You're making me older by the second year. <laughs> well, you know, I'm closing on my third decade. Yeah. So. We don't need to go there. People don't need to know how old you are to figure out how old I am. <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, two decades of doing this job, how has it affected your body? You know, a lot of people have different, different effects. I should say, I know some people who've had a lot of hand or wrist issues, depending on the movements. A lot of people do carpal, have carpal tunnel issues. I'm lucky in that aspect, especially working five days a week. I don't. However, I usually have a long-term kind of long-lasting pain that goes from my neck to my shoulder on my right side. And that's because it's the arm that's always held up. So I have muscles there that are always tight, always tensed. In fact, when we had time off for COVID, where our office was closed for a while, and I didn't have that, I got back to work. It bothered me 10 times worse because I wasn't used to using that again. But for the most part, really, I mean, you have to just try and keep a decent posture so that you're not hunched over people all the time to lead towards back or neck issues and then i know a lot of you guys wear the funny glasses the <laughs> loops loops <laughs> fruit loops um you wear loops and that's i assume natural eye degeneration over time like they just get worse not from the job but in general like all of our eyes get worse every year so i assume like you need those eventually just to see um Thanks for that. But probably I didn't get mine till later. But honestly, they start wearing loops now right out of school. Okay. Is because that... it's just easier. They're a magnification. So like mine are a two and a half times magnification. They go up to, I think, four or four and a half. So it just kind of depends. You know, sometimes I'll go with two. Sometimes it's two and a half, three, whichever you need. But that makes your field of view um, a little smaller because it's larger, but it allows us to see so much more. And not really have to crane your neck around. Right, and, and it doesn't really have anything to do with your how well you see without them on. You know, it's it's it allows you to do a better job at what you do with them on. I know I had that. I'm just like, I go into the <laughs> dentist's office and they're wearing funny glasses and looking at me. I do have reading glasses now because my eyes have deteriorated. However, it has nothing to do with my loops or why I wear them. <laughs> oh, I know I used to have kids when I went to school way back in the day. Uh, they recognized me 
from you because you have like a picture of me in the office and then Mm -hmm. they come to school and they're like, oh, hey, I just saw your picture in your mom's office. Is it really common to get noticed in public, get recognized? Yeah, I run into patients. I mean, it's a small town, you know, and even though I don't live in Dundee itself, everything pretty much surrounding this area are small towns. So I run into patients at a lot of places, grocery stores, shopping, wherever. You know, I have patients of mine that work at like Dutch Bros. So if I drive through Dutch Bros, they're like, oh, hey, Hey. (laughs) I know who you are. Getting that drink you told me was bad for my teeth. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The one with all the sugar. I love the Rebels. (laughs) But it's one exposure. I drink it in a pretty short time span. (laughs) I'm not sponsored by Dutch Bros, but I'm open to that possibility. Send me a sponsorship. <laughs> but yeah, like I've seen I've seen people like notice you and that's a weird kind of recognition. I think a lot of people don't see it like a normal job. Like say you work at the grocery store, I don't recognize my cashier anywhere else. But like you're right there, you know. Yeah, but a cashier you see for a short period of time. I see people in my chair for if they're kids, maybe half hour, forty minutes adults an hour maybe a little longer two to three times a year four times a year in some cases you know or as parents bring the kids in you know i may see those parents several times during the year because they're in every time with their kids so yeah you know when you see those same people over and over and over again you know we talk about their lives i have people that dropped off wedding gifts for you that had never met you simply because they felt like they had known you their whole life and they knew you were getting married you know, so it's those types of relationships, but that's what I love about my job is I get those relationships. I, even though it's every six months that I get updated on things, you know, sometimes it's like I seen patients when they were kids to now they've graduated high school or graduated college or getting married or having kids of their own and bringing their kids in. So I've seen those generations, and I love it. I love seeing what they're doing with their lives, where they're at, how things are for them. But that's awesome. Because yeah. a lot of people don't get that much involvement even in their coworkers' lives. You know, you work with a guy for five years, and then you never see him again. Whereas, like, you're seeing the kids of the kids you used to see. like, And that's really cool. I love like, it. You're like, man, I remember when you were this age in my chair. Mm-hmm. And now... You have a little one here in my chair. Yeah, I love it. It's it's having those relationships that make your job worthwhile. You know, if it's just you're, you're seeing people to get them in, get them done, and it's an assembly line, and they're just processing people through, what fun is that? Yeah, who wants to do that all day? Yeah, that's not what you want to do. You want to have those conversations. I get to hear about vacations, and if I have questions about vacations or places I want to go, all I have to do is ask patients because somebody's been where I'm thinking of going. They give me advice on where I need to go, where I need to avoid, what I should see when I'm there. You know, it's those types of things. I love that. So you get your own private information source. I do, about everything. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 
You're like, I got free advice from every market in the in the world. I do because I have patients, like I said, I mean, travel is like one aspect, but, you know, I have patients who are teachers and so I get to keep up, especially with COVID stuff, you know, where are, where schools are going, where kids are headed, where things are kind of going in that avenue. I have lawyers, I have judges, I see doctors and nurses and firemen and police and you know so I have all these avenues of people to to like get information from my electricians and plumbers and contractors if I need to have work done I know who to call you know it's 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 a wonderful network I say you're basically doing what I'm doing on this podcast but in a much more efficient version (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I get quite as detailed into questions about their jobs but I've learned, like I knew nothing before about wineries, how different weather patterns affect the grapes or the smokes from the fires we had this year, how all of that affects that. But I've learned a lot about grapes and bottling and things that I never knew before. So I'm, I'm constantly learning something. And that's what, we're, that's what we're aiming for here. So you've got, you know, nearly perfect star on that one. <laughs> But talking about that, we are in the start of 2021. We came out of the worst year ever. So bad they make documentaries about it. Yep. Um, How has COVID-19 affected the dental practices? So COVID-19 obviously has affected everybody in one aspect or another. As far as offices go, they shut down all dental offices um, around the middle of March. In Oregon, they reopened us in the start of May. Um, As far as changes, you know, dental offices have always dealt with aerosols. That's always kind of been one of our main concerns. So a lot of what we did was already up to where we needed to be. They've changed aspects of like I now wear a shield that I didn't wear before. We have air purifiers in our rooms They've changed, like our waiting rooms are closed. Uh, the front office really has kind of had our major major changes in that they now have to wear masks. They have barriers between them and the patients for checkouts. They have to constantly, they're wiping down counters. You know, you let a patient in and you check their temperature. Now you've got to wipe down everything that was on that table. They've got to wipe down the doorknobs. And if somebody uses a bathroom and they get up and they wipe down all the doorknobs and everything in the bathrooms and stuff. So there's those aspects that have changed that are new. But a lot of like our cleanup and stuff in the back hasn't changed you know we sterilized all of our instruments before you sterilize your hand pieces you throw away all everything that's disposable that you can throw away you throw away i'm not using any different barriers now than what i had before i've got the same barriers going on everything um so there's a lot of things that you know dental offices and i think it's one of the reasons they opened us up early because if you think about it i mean we're sitting less than a foot away from somebody's not wearing a mask, working in their mouth, spraying aerosols, and we're there for 30 minutes to an hour and a half, two hour appointments, and that's okay, you know? And it's because they knew that dental offices are used to dealing with aerosols. It's kind of been something that's always been there for us. We've always dealt with viruses. We've always had to deal with the sterilizations and the and the cleanups. And so I don't think that we've had as huge of changes as a lot of places have. Well, and you guys always wore masks. 
before. Oh, yes. So that's not even new to you guys. No, no, that's not really new either on that aspect. The level of mass, like they want to see us wearing N95s or KN95s. And several of our staff do. In fact, some of them will double mask. Um, with me, I think that a level three with my shield, I'm comfortable with that. I do um, double mask if I'm using a Cavatron or I have those additional aerosols that are really going in the air. But most of hygiene, honestly, for years has always been splatters. You know, yes, we deal with the aerosols when we spray air and water on the teeth. You know, you've got that mist. But it's different than like the doctor that's using the handpiece that is spraying water around or the Cavatrons that are spraying air, you know, that constant stream of stuff. If I'm doing those, yes, I do up, step up what I'm doing. But for the most part, with just my hand scaling, my masks and my shields are plenty. That's, it. that's good. Now you know you're... Uh... All your local hygienists and dentists are really on top of stuff. Yes. Um, I know I've kept you hostage here for like an hour and a half now, <laughs> and I'll have to trim this down. But uh, overall, you know, just for everybody out there, would you say you've enjoyed your career? I love my career. In fact, I wish I had gotten into hygiene sooner than I did so that I had more time to spend doing just that because I love that hands-on with them with an assistance you know i mean you're busy but you don't get the one-on-one -on -one with a patient you don't have time where your hands are really in their mouth i mean you do for certain things but they're short periods of time most of it is is with the doctor but for me if i could have done assisting earlier roll back that time and have done it when i was younger or done hygiene i would have yeah i'd have gotten into my career sooner i love it and see that's awesome yeah well I appreciate you coming in on your busy weekend. No, uh -huh. absolutely. I always love seeing you. So. Love seeing my mom. <laughs> I don't get to see you that often, so it's I great. Know. But I always enjoy the time we have together. So I'll cut this podcast. Maybe we'll do something fun. All righty. We'll see you next time out there, everybody. And uh, until then, I don't know. Just stay, stay open. You know, thank your dental hygienists. They're working hard. They love seeing you, so get to enjoy seeing them. Maybe they'll tell you a story or two. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please reach out, tell family, coworkers, friends, anything uh, to listen to it. I would greatly appreciate any support you could give us. If you've really enjoyed it, you could go on to Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Just leave a good review. Um... Maybe if it's really funny, I'll read it on the show. I enjoy good humor. Um, or if you have a good dumb example, I'll, maybe I'll read that too. Uh, otherwise, if you want to reach out to us, I'm on social media, Dumb Enough Podcast, pretty much everywhere. Or you could reach out at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for guests or questions for guests or just want to chat, reach out to me there. I'll get a hold of you. All right. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you.